From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. The United States Supreme Court has spoken. The New York state law requiring citizens to show proper cause in order to get a license to carry a concealed handgun in public is unconstitutional. The ruling makes it clear that just as the Second Amendment protects the right to keep arms for self-defense in the home, it also protects the right to bear arms for self-defense outside the home. Perhaps more importantly, this landmark ruling sets the stage for overthrowing gun laws in every state. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by attorney and firearm law expert Sean Maloney. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me. Well, Sean, huge news. Uh, I mean, just gigantic news. On Thursday, June 23rd, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. So this was a landmark ruling. And, you know, my reaction when I heard this, we, we expected this to come down, you know, I was just fist pumping when I heard this. What? How did you feel when when you heard this uh, ruling come down from the Supreme Court? Well, I was actually in court, and uh, you heard a murmur in the back. And, and as soon as I got done uh, uh, filing a motion and talking to the court, I asked people what were going on, and they told me, you know, what happened. And then uh, I was elated. Uh, I, I felt for a long time that this is the way it had to come down. I couldn't imagine just based on the law, no matter how the, the dissenting people tried to try to uh, to change this, that they really couldn't. But 6-3 decision really surprised me. I was happy to see that they brought Roberts along uh, and things happened like that. And, and I think uh, it, it was a great opinion. And one thing that I noticed more than, than anything else is the court repeatedly stated that the Second Amendment confers a right, an individual right of self-defense, more so than I've ever heard that before. It was always, uh, prior to Heller especially, it, it, it was always, you know, the well-regulated militia part and uh, in protecting from the tyranny of government. And so they really focused on, on self-defense. Of course, that's what most of this was about. But, but there are some great quotes, great sentences, uh, and great food and fodder for us for, for a very long time. Yeah, so just to make sure that everyone knows what we're talking about, this is the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Sometimes you'll just hear it referred to as the Bruin case. And it strikes down a New York regulation that I think is now 109 years old. And in New York, unlike here in Ohio, where you can just, you know, you apply for the license you fill out the paperwork, pay your fee, and, and jump through the hoops, and you'll get your license. But in New York, you have to show proper cause in order to get a license to carry a concealed handgun in public. 
So in some places like New York City, the requirement has been, you know, the way they do it, virtually impossible for anyone to satisfy unless you're rich, famous, and powerful. So this question was brought before the court because of a couple of guys who were denied the license, and they were asking, is New York's law unconstitutional? And this court case came out and, and said emphatically, yes, this is unconstitutional. So, you know, this this is really going to change things. It's a gigantic ruling. How do you think legally this is going to play out? Well, to start off with, the court focused on their proper cause uh, requirement that you spoke about, that almost it was vague and almost nobody can meet that proper cause because obviously it was a moving target. And one thing that I noticed, if there's a word of the day for the Bruin court, certainly it was ordinary, ordinary self-defense needs. And if you look at the the legal definition of ordinary, it's regular self-defense needs, usual self-defense needs, normal self-defense needs. It's it's the polar opposite of proper cause. And so when they when they took a look at that and, and defined it that way, it became clear uh, that the court uh, was getting as far away from any requirement other than what a normal person would have. And I think certainly. There's six states in the District of Columbia that are going to be impacted with this, and they're going to have to uh, change things immediately. And that's going to, it's going to go from Maryland to New Jersey, New York City, California, all the usual suspects. Changes have to be made. And I think it's going to be a fight when you hear uh, our government leaders in New York City and other states saying they're not going to abide by it. They're going to fight it. They're not going to change anything. Certainly, uh, that's the tyranny of our government when they start doing that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what D.C., California, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York, New York State decide to do. At least from the, from the outset, they're saying they're not going to follow it. So that'll be interesting. And I think as, as you and I both were talking about earlier, as, as late as last year, the Supreme Court was still admonishing Massachusetts for not following uh, their guidelines and their state of law in Heller versus Washington, D.C. So this isn't going to be something automatic, and changes aren't going to be made overnight. They're going to go kicking and screaming all the way down the the aisle on this. So Justice Thomas was the one who wrote the opinion and honestly is a real stud on the court in the past. He's been kind of quiet. I'm thinking he's the new Scalia. Uh, so, Sean, I, I want to read this. This is the beginning of the opinion it's the very first paragraph in District of Columbia versus Heller and McDonald versus Chicago. We recognize that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect the right of an ordinary law abiding citizen to possess a handgun in the home for self defense. In this case, in the Bruin case, in other words, petitioners and respondents agree that ordinary law-abiding citizens have a similar right to carry handguns publicly for self-defense. We too agree and now hold, consistent with Heller and McDonald, that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. So in plain English, what Thomas is saying that in Heller in 2008 and then McDonald in 2010, that those cases confirmed an individual's right to keep arms. The Bruin case confirms that individuals have a right to bear arms. So there you go, keep and bear arms. What Thomas is saying is 
The Second Amendment means exactly what it says. He pulled no punches and left no doubt. And certainly the 43 states uh, that already have shell issue permits on the books don't have much work to do. But as I stated, those other states also have it. And he left no doubt. There's no room. There's no wiggle room. There's no room for interpretation. And that is what's so great about this opinion throughout the entire opinion. At every turn, he was that blunt and he was that exact. So there would be no misunderstanding as what the court stated in this. And certainly that 6-3 opinion was strong. And Thomas's language is even stronger. You know, and generally speaking, I'm not exactly sure how the Supreme Court does it. But in the courts of appeals and the Ohio Supreme Court, they essentially roll to see who's on the case. And so it's a roll of the dice and uh, and and by luck or bad luck, you decide who's going to write that opinion. And certainly we had some great luck when Thomas did it, because if you read his concurring opinions and some of his dissents over the years, you knew that he was the one that you wanted to protect your constitutional rights when they came to the Second Amendment. Certainly statements he made in McDonald and Heller uh, show that he would have went further than either of those courts did in upholding our rights, certainly for self-defense. And like I said, it's very refreshing to to see when when the courts defining the Second Amendment. Now that there's you know they're specifically stating that it confers an individual right of self-defense outside of the home. Yeah, I mean you could tell that Thomas wasn't just talking about this case. He was really answering objections. From the past, he was answering possible objections in the future. I, I got to read another section here. I think this is my very favorite quote from the entire opinion where Justice Thomas says, the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. We know of no other constitutional right than an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need. That is not how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular speech or the free exercise of religion. It is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witness against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. Sean, that is like a mic drop moment. He's telling people, look guys, stop screwing around. The Second Amendment is in the Bill of Rights. It's just as valid as every other right. So stop messing around with it. You know, and it's interesting because we're two for two with each other right now because I have those same paragraphs cut and pasted on a piece of paper. And I think for years, we always talked about the fact that, wait a minute, there's nobody has to show a special need or nobody has to have a special purpose to carry the Bible, to the Quran or anything like that. And, and so it, it's nice to hear a Supreme Court judge uh, really expound or reiterate exactly what we've all been saying for years about this. So like I said, it's, it's very refreshing. This opinion was very direct and to the point. And I think if you think about all the cases that we've read with firearms in the back, they're a little, sometimes they're obscure and you don't know where they're coming from or where they're going, but uh, certainly Justice Thomas and this and all the other judges that concurred left no doubt about it, the path they were taking uh, related to the Second Amendment and our right to keep and bear arms outside of the home. It left no doubt. So, Sean, a part of this gets a little technical when Thomas is talking about the different ways 
that you go about ruling on cases like this. You know, he was talking about a one-step test or a two-step test. So the opinion uh, isn't just about this New York case. Thomas is actually laying down how lower courts ought to look at Second Amendment cases. And he's criticizing the lower courts. And he's saying, look, you're not doing it right. You're, you're applying the wrong test. And here's how you're supposed to do it. Can, can you explain that just in, in plain English, what he's talking about uh, on, on when he's telling the lower courts the way that they need to approach cases in the future? Yeah, he, he looked at uh, various courts of appeals, federal courts of appeals that have been issuing opinions related to Heller and McDonald and stated it's a two-part test. And that two-part test exists, but really it should be a one-part test. And the first part of the test that dealt directly with Heller was what was supposed to be used. You're supposed to look at uh, the Second Amendment and any restrictions or any, any of the, the regulations or your decisions on the Second Amendment has to fit within the plain language and the historical language of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment doesn't have to fit into what they just wrote or the law they just passed or the regulation. And essentially, that's what they were doing. The courts went to a, if you can't get the first test, if you can't fit your statute underneath the, the, the guise of the Second Amendment, well, then we'll use a, a, a ends means test. At the end of the day, does what we've written kind of relate to the Second Amendment, but does it get us to where we need to be? Does the ends justify the means? And the ends in this case was what they would always say. It was, well, it supports an, an important state interest uh, or public safety, public health and safety. And the court and, and, and Thomas was saying, wait a minute, that second part of the test, that's not how you get here. The first part of the test is what you use. Does what I'm doing, does my restrictions, my statute or my law, does that fit within the original intent and the historical purpose of the Second Amendment, which essentially is uh, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And again, Heller, he had a right to keep a, a firearm. And uh, now with Bruin, you have a right to bear that firearm outside your home. So, yeah. So Justice Thomas was saying when the Second Amendment's plain text, in other words, when you just read it, the plain text, when that covers an individual's conduct, the Constitution presumptively protects that conduct. So he's saying, look, it's just like with the First Amendment or any other right that's enumerated, if it, if it says that it protects the conduct, that's what it does, and you need to look at that plain text. And he says the government must then justify its regulation by demonstrating that it is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. So he's really criticizing other courts for ignoring what the plain text says and for ignoring the history and tradition of the United States when it comes to firearms. Well, and I think just like I mentioned with Massachusetts, they were doing things the wrong way also. They were using the ends of the means test and weren't following what the court wanted to be done uh, with Heller. Uh, I, I think it was interesting also, Justice Thomas stated that the Second Amendment is the very product of an interest balancing by the people, and it surely elevates above all other interests the right of law-abiding responsible citizens to use firearms for self-defense. So again, every chance he got, he made sure that, that he clarified. And I think probably for years, uh, the Supreme Court had problems getting the lower courts and certainly the lower state courts in line with their interpretation of the Heller ruling. And I think probably that's why he's so direct and so exact 
because he doesn't want to have to have to go through the problems that, that for whatever reason, uh, was caused by the Heller decision. And certainly the plain meaning of this opinion is direct and to the point. Yeah, it's really slapping other courts on the wrist here. And it brings up sort of an interesting question because I think the most important part of this, and I've, I've not seen this reported at all, other than Cam Edwards mentioning it on the Bearing Arms website, where how it's going to affect other gun rights moving forward. In other words, if, if you have to apply this, you know, historic test, you can ask questions like, well, is there a tradition of banning commonly owned firearms? No. Well, you know, what about detachable magazines? Well, not until probably the 80s. What about AR-15s? No. Yeah, there was a 10-year federal ban on semi-automatic rifles, but there's no historic tradition of banning those rifles, even like full auto. You know, that those are not banned. You just have to pay a $200 tax stamp. So if this historic standard is what we're going to have going forward, courts should uphold gun restrictions only if there's a tradition of such regulation in the U- in U.S. history. So, Sean, could we see other gun control laws struck down, not just the one in New York, but could we see, you know, AR bans uh, struck down? Could we see, you know, the full auto rule struck down? Could we see, a, you know, magazine bans struck down because of the way that Thomas is formulating this? I think it stands a very good chance, and I can say yes. Uh, when you look at him uh, uh, shooting down the two-step framework for the, the Second Amendment challenges and, and tells the courts that the means and scrutiny of gun laws doesn't work, that's what they were always hanging their hat on. They couldn't hang it on anything else, but, well, it, it gets us to the point we want to be. But you're right, because Justice Thomas is, is uh, aware that uh, the California courts, the, the district court, and the Court of Appeals in California uh, the, the district court is saying, hey, magazines and magazine capacity is protected by the Second Amendment. Of course, the Court of Appeals said no. And so those are out there. And you're going to be looking at magazine bans. You're going to be looking at, uh, at AR-15 bans. You're going to be looking at certainly California compliant, quote unquote, compliant firearms. A lot of those are going to be shot down. And I think what he did was he, he dictated the framework that these courts need to use when they're considering these things. So he knows those are out there. Uh, They've had those cases up for consideration and denied cert on them. And I think probably because they took care of a lot of those and made a lot clearer with this opinion. So that was a good observation, Dean, that you have that when he struck down their uh, two-part test and means and scrutiny, he did it for a reason. And that reason is there's magazine capacity bans, there's AR-15s, there's bump stocks, there's trigger activators, there's any number of things out there that have to be ruled on. And a lot of those are directly protected by the Second Amendment. And he just clarified it here. And the Supreme Court itself has been holding on to some cases as well. You know, they were waiting to rule on this Bruin case. But again, according to Cam Edwards on the Bearing Arms website, he's got a really interesting article there about this. He says that there are two cases dealing with magazine bans in New Jersey and California. Mm -hmm. There's a challenge to Maryland's ban on AR-15s and other semi-automatic rifles. And, you know, basically Thomas is teeing this up. He's ruling on this case. He's laying out a framework for lower courts to look at these issues. And he's sort of just, uh, you know, teasing everybody about the the possibility of these other cases uh, being ruled on. And, And we could see 
you know, bans and regulations fall all over the place. Not that we're going to get to the point when there's no regulation at all. He's saying that the lower courts have been doing it wrong, and they need to, to relook at a lot of these cases and rethink whether they meet this historical standard. So I think we could see a lot of really interesting cases coming up really quick. The, the courts in the past three years especially, there's been a lot of cases that I thought for sure that they would accept uh, cert on those cases and rule on those cases. But there's always something missing. And I thought at first what was missing is Roberts knew he didn't have the votes and that could have been part of it. But I think that the big part of it is they're waiting for the right case, the right case that could address a lot of different things. Generally speaking, uh, the Supreme Court is a court of few words. They rule on very narrow issues. And in this case, they did, but they, like you said, they also teed it up for the future because they know these magazine ban cases are out there. They know that these trigger activators are out there. They know the AR bans are out there and everything else. And so the best way for the courts to take care of that is to give them guidance now and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, and you'll see Bruin cited everywhere because the Bruin court told us how to do this. And, and you're right, a lot of anti-gun measures are going to fall because of this. Now, the reaction to this, Sean, has been interesting, not surprising, though. You know, President Biden came out and said that he was, quote, deeply disappointed by the ruling. New York's Governor Kathy Hochul condemned the ruling as, quote, reprehensible and saying it could place millions of New Yorkers in harm's way. Millions of New Yorkers, really? I think she's talking about the criminals there, maybe. It could place criminals in harm's way once people uh, are able to carry, if they're able to carry. The Attorney General in New York, Letitia James, uh, said her office would continue to do everything in our power to protect New Yorkers from gun violence and preserve our state's common sense gun laws. Sean, a lot of this just sounds like, you know, we don't like this ruling. Technically, we may have to comply with some of it, but we're going to look for loopholes. We're going to look for ways around it. How do you think New York specifically is going to respond to this? There's no way they're just going to open this up for concealed carry. No, I think in the beginning, I was thinking about that. What are they going to do and how are they going to react to this, this opinion, knowing that they need to become a shell issue state? And I think really the, the, at the base of this opinion states really you, you need to be shell issue. But I think they're going to slow roll it. They're going to take their time changing laws uh, with the legislation, when things are going to hit the floor, when these changes are being made. And I think the next lawsuits you're going to see are lawsuits forcing them to comply with the court's ruling because it, there, there's no way out. Uh, essentially, they're done. The way they've been, it's not business as usual in the gun world from them, them anymore. And I think that uh, they're going to do everything they possibly can to keep from changing and, and to slow roll this thing. But I think that's kind of their normal course of action uh, is a slow roll, uh, the actions, changing the statutory language, creating new guidance and new regulations for getting concealed carry permits. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of fights you have, because when you have a governor uh, on the day opinion is released, making the statements that they're not going to follow it. Uh, you know, it, 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 that, that's a pretty prong, strong statement on her part. And uh, that's kind of the kind of tyranny that the Second Amendment protects us against. So it'll, it'll be interesting because you and I both know that they're going to do everything they possibly can to keep from following the Supreme Court in this. And so that'll be interesting to watch also. So New York might become a shall issue state because right now it's kind of up to a local official 
on whether they're going to give you a concealed handgun license. So they become shall issue. So they shall issue a license. But what do you have to do to get the license? So you were talking about this, you know, uh, you know, maybe extra background checks, you know, maybe extensive firearm training where you're going to have to have what, you know, 50 hours of firearm training, maybe like a mental health review. I've seen that proposed where, you know, a psychologist have to, has to sign off on it. In New Jersey, you know, you have to have somebody vouch for you. So you have to be someone of good character and you have to get, I believe, three people to say that, you know, you're a good guy. They could put up all these hurdles that, okay, it's a shall issue, but good luck trying to meet the requirements to actually get that license. So they're just, I think they're just going to put up barriers in a, in a different place. Well, they can do that. Certainly, I know Pennsylvania, I still get phone calls from the Pennsylvania State Police every time my buddies from PA are up for renewal because they have a requirement. I think they have to have one or two people out of votes for their character and fitness. So I get phone calls on a regular basis. But there's also the cases that have been litigated out there and the current case law that says that you just can't put up barriers like that, whether it's cost, whether it's paperwork to do, uh, more things to file. But I mean, that, that's something, certainly a, a course of action they're going to take. And those will probably be the next pieces of legislation is forcing the courts to act or, or forcing the legislature to, to create proper rules and regulations for applying for a concealed carry permit following the Bruno decision. And in this decision, it even suggests that, look, you know, you can set up licensing programs and you could have requirements so it's giving them a little bit of guidance on that. I just think that they're going to continue to make it as difficult as possible. Because bottom line, especially in New York City, now, you know, in, in other areas, in the more rural areas, it's a lot easier to get a license. But in New York City and in urban places like that, they're basically just saying, look, we don't want people to have guns. We don't trust you. We don't want guns here. And I think I saw a statistic where only about 1% of the population of all New York have a license. So, and I'm, and I'm not sure if that's really a, like an unrestricted carry license because they have two. There's mm -hmm. like a restricted license where, okay, you can carry it, but you can only carry it to the range and back. And then there's an unrestricted license where you have to get approval that they, they don't want these unrestricted licenses where you're walking down the, you know, the middle of a street in, in New York with a gun. That's just, that's just not, they just don't want that to happen. Well, and I think probably the root of those two different licenses are out there uh, just to do what they're doing right now to get around having to issue that unrestricted license. Well, we have a license so you can go to the, you can hunt and go to the range. And, and that's a problem they've had for years. So I think you're right. They're going to, they're going to put up every barrier they possibly can. Uh, those barriers can easily be, be shot down though. But again, it's going to be time consuming. And I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how much of a fight they put up, but you're right. The last thing they want, especially in New York city with the safe act, you have to have a license to own a firearm in your home, let alone have a license that you can take outside. So it'll be interesting if, if and if you can remember uh, when Illinois first passed their uh, concealed carry license, I think it was 16 or 17 hours worth of training. You know, it was a, several days, of course, with the Floyd card and everything else, you know, it's, it's certainly, it's not Ohio. It's not what Ohio's become, and it's not all these other pro-gun states. It's, it's going to be difficult. And that's why 
every time they get out of bed, remember, they're going to be doing something to try to slow roll this course decision. And you're getting out of bed every morning, do everything you can to make sure that th this decision is complied with. And, and that's what uh, groups and organizations like Buckeye Firearms Association, the National Rifle Association, everybody out there is for to make sure that, uh, that we protect our rights. And you can't look back because over and over again, they're not going to stop and they're, they're not going to abide by this decision. To them, it doesn't care. They're above this. They know better. Right. I mean, we, we were involved in this case. I, mean, I just want to remind everybody, we were directly involved in the Heller case, the McDonald case, and now the Bruin case. We submitted amicus briefs. Some people call them amicus briefs. I actually looked it up today, Sean, because I could never decide on how to pronounce that. <laughs> and it said online it's pronounced amicus. So that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. So we provided an amicus brief in this case. What the amicus briefs are, and you can explain this better, is, you know, in every case the justices are looking at the law, but they rely on outside groups to submit these briefs to give them information. Explain exactly how that works. They're kind of friend-of-the-court briefs where uh, – parties on both sides of the issue take one area of this and, and do a detailed brief citing all the case law, uh, the history, the hi in this case, the history of, of, of the Second Amendment, the common law rulings that came from England when, when the Mayflower came over, uh, and a very detailed brief with particular, very fine areas of law. And the courts can look at these briefs and rely on those briefs and have the research uh, essentially done for them from the beginning that focuses on the issues before the court. I guess in a way, if I was a, a staff attorney for the Supreme Court, it'd be nice to get a, a, a good brief like that because then you know most of my work would be done except for uh, interpreting you know what was in the briefs before that. So really all they are is pro-gun groups and anti-gun groups in these cases filed briefs with their side of the their side of the story being pitched directly to the court. They're a very useful tool. Uh, they, they're used in the state courts and federal courts. So I'm not sure that our brief in this case was cited. Um, I, I did a search on the, on the document and I didn't see it. I know that our brief in the McDonald case was cited, which was pretty exciting. You know, if, if anybody wants to read this opinion, and if you're going to read any anything in the law, I, I recommend that you read the Heller decision because I think it's really interesting and in this decision. This is probably the most readable decision I've ever read. You can skip over the citations. You can skip over a lot of the technical stuff. If you go to our website, buckeyefirearms.org, I put a, uh, an article up on this. Just search upper right-hand corner of the website. Just search for the word victory. That's the first word in the title of this article. And there's a link that will take you to a document that I think is, what, Sean, about 135 pages long. And that's, that, that's, so that's the syllabus, which is kind of like a summary at the beginning. There's the official opinion that Justice Thomas wrote. Then there's some concurring opinions from other uh, justices that, that agree with the ruling. And then there's a dissenting opinion, uh, at, at least one, from Justice Breyer. I didn't skip ahead to see if there were any others. So there's a lot to read, but if you just read, you can just read the syllabus or just read the opinion. Skip over the technical stuff. It's not that hard to read. It's really interesting. There's a lot of history. There's a very simple law that's explained in it. If you read Heller and you read this, 
you'll have a really good understanding of where the law is right now, or should be, on the Second Amendment. And the Heller case has a lot of history because they really delved into it on where the Second Amendment came from and what it really means. So I'm still working my way through all those documents, Sean. Have you uh, have you gone through all of it? You're probably looking up all the references. Yeah, I'm, I, it's taken me a while, and, and, and probably to, to get completely done, it'll take a couple of weeks. For instance, I went to the to the New York law that to try to find guidance on what was required for me to show that I had a specialized or heightened need to have a concealed carry permit. Uh, but you're right, the Heller decision, especially tremendous amount of history all the way over to England, the 12th century. Uh, and it was just amazing. It's a great study. And then, of course, you have this court citing back to Heller. And so I, I agree, if you can take some time to read Heller e- even quickly and then read this case, it'll make more sense to you. And, and I agree with you. Don't get bogged down in the technicalities of this decision. And I commented before, did you off D- Dean off record that, um, that it was amazing because usually Supreme Court opinions are a little bit vague and you're not quite sure what you're saying. But Justice Thomas here was pointed to the point and exacting in all of his language and what he said. Make no mistake about it. He didn't want any interpretation of what he was saying. He wanted to be clear. And I think he did a great job with that. And, um, and certainly, I guess if, if, uh, if you have a bucket list, certainly he would be on the top, top of the bucket list of a person I would love to have dinner with. Yeah. I mean, historically, he's been pretty quiet, you know, before the pandemic and they started doing all of their hearings, you know, online or remotely, I guess he never really asked a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. but he's sort of come out of his shell recently and he's really become a powerhouse on the court. So I think that uh, he's he's really going to be replacing Scalia uh, as the main conservative on the court. I think that he writes great opinions. And he's a very clear thinker. You know, you read his opinion, and it's not bogged down in a lot of philosophical stuff. It's really straightforward. And the beauty of this opinion, I just want to repeat this, is it's not just talking about New York, which was important, but it, you kind of get a twofer. He's, he's saying basically that he's frustrated with other courts on how they're treating the Second Amendment, and he lays out the method that he wants them to use to look at cases going forward. So number one, I think we're going to see more cases. Number two, I'm hoping we're going to see these other courts do a better job of reviewing these cases the way they're supposed to do it. I agree. And, and now what a, what a, there's not a better time to have a piece of legislation to give us all national reciprocity. Certainly the case can be made that the court just did that for us. And I've said, I've always said that our constitutional rights are borderless. They don't stop at state lines. So how you can, how you can deny me the right to carry concealed with reciprocity in, in New York State, I'm not quite sure how they defend that. And I don't think they'll be able to. So it'll be interesting to see that line of cases and, and what the government is, tries to do, especially after the midterms. Uh, I mean, certainly we have an opportunity then to try to, to get our point across with certain aspects of this decision, national reciprocity is probably one of them. And I think certainly this opinion opens the door for that. And we just got to see, you know, how that's treated. Much rather do it with a piece of legislation than a piece of litigation, because you and I both know litigation is expensive and very, very time consuming. 
Yeah, well, and, and you know, this process with the Supreme Court is time-consuming as well. I was looking at some comments on Facebook, and, of course, I get emails, and, you know, God bless them. Some people are asking questions like, so this does this mean I can carry in New York now? You know, does this mean all these laws are struck down? And I have to explain to them, look, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a justice. But, you know, these things take time, and I know they take time. Not only do court cases take time, but the, the way that the court case— plays out, uh, you know, with laws and so on, takes time. And if there's one thing I've learned, Sean, and I think that a lot of people don't understand this, and it's very frustrating for everybody, is that just because you pass a law or just because you have a ruling in a case doesn't mean that everyone's going to follow the law. States don't always follow the law. We've seen cities here in Ohio, they don't follow the law. And all you can really do is keep working on legislation, keep suing people. It's a long process, and you've got to have organizations. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back here. You've got to have organizations like Buckeye Firearms Association that's willing to just grind it out year after year after year. There's, there's no fast, easy fix for this stuff if you're not willing to spend the time over many, many years. And we've been doing this for 20 years, and we're still doing work. You're just not going to get anywhere. So it's great that we have this ruling, but really this just sets us up for a lot more work in the future. Well, you're right. I mean, it, it's a it's a huge victory and a huge win for us, but now we have to make it uh, have meaning. Certainly, we got to give teeth to what Justice Thomas said, and we got to make sure that we move forward. And like I said, this opens the door for many, many other pieces of legislation and uh, increases our freedoms in many different in different ways, but it's not going to happen automatically. It's still going to take somebody to push the ball, and and that's and that's unfortunately uh, uh, what we're all about. So I just want to repeat it: the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right. That's directly from Justice Thomas. So. I'm loving this guy. This is a great read. Again, go to the website, BuckeyeFirems.org. Uh, if you don't see the article right there on the front page, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, just search for the word victory in the upper right corner. The article should come up. There's a link right in that article. Plus, there's some links to past podcasts where we've talked about Heller and McDonald. Uh, I, I even uh, um, interviewed Dick Heller, the man of the from the original case, and uh, there's, there's a lot of information that we that we cover on our website and in our podcast. Well, Sean, again, I'm I'm really thrilled. I guess you know we all need to go out and have a drink, and uh, you know celebrate a little bit. Glad to have you on the podcast, and I have you back again soon so we can talk more legal stuff. Can't wait. So, folks, go out and buy a new gun, get some ammunition, go out and shoot, and bring a friend. Sounds good. I'll see you, Sean. Thanks a lot, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.